Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. So one of the, the core questions here in this section of James is, what is faith? What exactly is it? Because it can get really confusing. As I mentioned already, we use this term faith kind of very loosely uh, when we describe, we're really describing a number of different ideas. So we'll say things like, uh, it'll be okay, I have faith. What we really say, it, what we're really saying is we're hopeful, we're optimistic, right? Uh, we, we might say, my faith is important to me. And a lot of times uh, that can be describing maybe a, a kind of private spirituality that we might have. And, and neither of these really uh, describe the way faith is used in the scriptures. So faith uh, is in part, it is a hope in something that's unseen. But, but it's more than that. It's not simply a wishful thinking or a, a hope for a better tomorrow. Uh, it, it's a, a substance in life where we see something, like we see the truth of who Jesus is, and then we live differently because of that truth that we've realized. Hebrews 11.1 1 says it this way, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The substance. The evidence of things unseen. It's describing the tangible stuff of our belief. And James here is suggesting that faith, uh, it isn't just something that we think or we feel, it is tangible. It's something that has uh, flesh on bones, if I could use that expression. It, it plays itself out through good deeds. It plays itself out through works that we do, and, and we know we have faith because of that, James says. And we're saved, he even says, because of the works we do in faith. Now, here's what I need everyone to do. Uh, I need everyone to just hold out your hand like this real quick and just you, pretend you have an imaginary hat in your hand, okay? I know. Put your imaginary hat in your hand. You're going to need it. You see that hat there? Okay? This is your Bible nerd hat. I need you to just put your Bible nerd hat on for a minute. Did you put it on? Okay, you got your Bible nerd hat. You're all Bible nerds now. Ready? Now, now I, I need you to, to put your Bible nerd hat on because I have to explain something very important about this idea of faith and works that can be very confusing. Uh, if you're newer in your walk with Jesus or you've been in this walk a long time, at some point you're going to notice in the New Testament that there are kind of two different ideas that get presented here about faith and works. Uh, one that you probably are most familiar with, if you've been in church for any length of time, is the way the Apostle Paul describes faith in a lot of his, his letters. And he says things like, you're saved by grace through faith, not by works. Paul says that many, many times. Okay? Now, James says, we're shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Uh-oh. There's a problem. This is actually, believe it or not, the most studied section of the book of James because many scholars see this and they say, oh, are James and Paul in disagreement about how we are saved? 
and how we come to live in Jesus. Like, is that what's going on here? Now, at first glance, that might look like what's going on, and one of them must be wrong. But in reality, what James and Paul are doing are describing two sides of the same coin. And so we got your, you still got your Bible nerd hat on? Okay, stay with me for just another minute here, because this will help clear things up for a lifetime uh, for you of reading the Bible. Paul is dealing specifically with very legalistic Christians. Uh, they were called Judaizers, and, and they, they were working off of a very specific kind of checklist. And this checklist was a list of things, a list of specific works that you needed to make sure you were doing if you were going to be saved. Okay? And you had to do that. And Paul said, that's total nonsense. There's nothing special about these specific works or this checklist or, or obeying God in and of itself that can save you. He says, that's nonsense. This is a free gift of God that comes through faith. Totally true. But a great way now is to think of it as Paul ends his argument there and James now picks up this idea of faith and works to carry it to the other side of the coin. Because here's, here's what James says. Uh, he picks it up from here saying, but one, he's basically saying, but once you're saved by grace through faith, the way that you are saved and show that you have faith is by living it out in the world by your works. It's as if James is saying, yes, God alone can save you. You have no power to follow a certain list of, of rules and things like that. There's no special things you can do and earn God's salvation. That's totally true. It's totally a free gift. But now that you have that free gift, you need to put your money where your mouth is to show that you have that free gift. Are you with me? Barely, it seems like. Okay. It's important that we're aware of, of these kind of similarities and differences. And you're like, Pastor, why are you talking to me about this? Because at some point, uh, you're going to hear sermons that sound like there's nothing you can do to be saved. It's totally grace and you just have faith. And that's 100% true. But what you're going to hear today and then anyone who's preaching from James, they're going to tell you, well, you've got to do stuff in order to prove you have faith and that you're saved by God. And what I'm trying to tell you is, is that James and Paul here are not disagreeing with each other. They're simply talking about two sides of the same issue. Paul's saying, you can't create a special checklist and say, you got to do this in order to be saved. And James is saying that being saved means you do a bunch of things. Are you with me now? All right, we're there. So we can move on. All right, so you can go ahead, take your Bible nerd hat off if you want, or just leave it on. Totally up to do. It's great to leave your Bible nerd hat on sometimes. So we, we've already said that faith is, is uh, it's not simply, uh, back to James's specific context here, it's not simply that faith isn't just about good prayers or you know, uh, good Bible reading or anything like that. Uh, it's not simply good theology. Our faith is uh, what I call believing loyalty in Jesus Christ that compels us to action. So if you think about faith in action, uh, according to James, faith in action is actually a bit of an oxymoron because you can't have faith without action and your actions don't exist outside of faith. So in some ways, it's all the same thing, biblically speaking. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Now, let me uh, describe it to you this way. I love pizza. How many of you love pizza? I love pizza. I could eat pizza for breakfast, I could eat it cold, I could eat it warm, I love pizza. Still to this day, if there's one thing we have plenty of here in West Milford, it's pizza. 
How many pizza shops do we have? I feel like every day on some West Milford Facebook group, I see new pizza place opening up in West Milford. I'm like, don't we have enough pizza places? But I'm not really complaining. I love a good pizza. I love a good mushroom and onion pie. It's my favorite. I love when the sauce is done well and, and it's, it's savory, but it's got a little bit of spice to it. Uh, I love it's got a little bit of sweetness to the sauce. I love when the crust is just flexible enough where you can fold your slice, but right when you get to the top of that fold, there's just a little bit of crack in the bottom of the crust. You know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about, you pizza lovers. Now, can you imagine if you or I go into our favorite pizza shop and we talk just as passionately as I just did about pizza, but then you go into the pizza shop and you never purchase a pizza and you never uh, eat the pizza? I would question your pizza loyalty very, very seriously. I'd be concerned about you. And so this kind of talk about pizza without actually eating the pizza is exactly the situation James is describing here when, we're, when I'm trying to describe, describe faith as believing loyalty. Let me tell you, I believe in pizza so much. I will eat it. I will eat it all the time. And I, I am passionate about good pizza. And that's what James is describing. If you have faith, believing loyalty, it compels you to action. You can't separate the two. Prayer and, and, and theology are, are two examples now that, that James is going to talk about that uh, he offers as, as two uh, things that can uh, look like faith and look like you really enjoy pizza, but he says there's a way, he wants us to realize that there's examples of prayer and good theology and good prayer that actually have nothing to do with faith. And, and, that's, and that's what he uh, wants to show us here. So I want to look at each of these briefly. And, and the first part of this is that uh, faith is not simply good prayers, though I want you to hear me, good prayers can propel us forward. Now, I love prayer and I love worship. Nine times out of ten, that's all I want to talk to you about. That's all I want to preach on. That's all I want to disciple people in is prayer and worship because of my own story. Uh, my call into ministry happened in a time of worship. Uh, I heard God's voice for the first time. I've met God and, and, and been with Jesus time and time again in places of prayer and worship, and it has changed me. It has changed me into a different person. I remember coming home uh, from college one time on a, a school break, and my mom was like, whoa, you are not the same son I sent off to college. I literally was a different person because I'd met God. And so nine times out of 10, I just want to talk to you about worship and prayer and meeting with Jesus because we need more people in the world that have met with Jesus, amen? We need more people like that. But James wants to tell us here, and I want to tell you as well this morning, that it's actually possible to pray good prayers and not actually have faith. And here in verses 15 and 16, James imagines a, a poor, homeless person, no coat, they're in the cold, no food, and, and a good Christian comes along. And, and maybe this Christian's on their way to a worship night or coming back from one, or they were just at a Bible study, or maybe they're off to meet with someone to talk and share with them about Jesus. And, and this good Christian sees the homeless person and, and offers them some really nice words goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, and then walks off. 
Now, scholars have suggested that because of the the grammatical structure of of this section, it actually looks like a, a prayer or a blessing. So this good Christian is offering a blessing and a prayer. Let me pray for you. You have so many needs. Let me pray for you and then have a good day. And, and what James is suggesting here is, is that this good prayer offered uh, in faith is actually no faith at all because it didn't meet the person's needs. But in this moment, this, this homely, uh, homeless, hungry person, they, they don't want your good prayers. They, in fact, they don't even need your good prayers. What they need is food and they need a coat and they need shelter. Now see, when, when we think of our faith uh, as only uh, spiritual or only for our, our soul or maybe heavenly thing, a lot of times all we think to offer uh, is prayer. I'll pray for you. I'll keep you in prayer. And James says, that's just not so. And that's not what faith is at all. And James is here. He's pointing out an issue of justice and mercy through this example of this homeless, cold uh, poor, hungry individual. And, and he says there are needs like this all around us, and if we ignore them, our faith has a fundamental flaw and is in fact no faith at all. We're called as the church to respond to issues of injustice with mercy and compassion. And when we see injustice uh, taking place, and by the way, I want to say this about injustice. Um, injustice is injustice, whether it is uh, racism or homelessness, uh, whether it is hunger or abortion. Injustice is injustice. And if it is anything uh, that seeks to deny the image of God in another person's life, it's injustice. It's injustice. So, so when we see injustice taking place in any form, James is saying to us, and if we don't do anything when we see injustice taking place, we actually show that our faith is dead. It's dead. I can remember being on a call once with uh, a bunch of leaders in, in town in, in this past year, and we were, we were hearing from a consultant about strategic development for, for West Milford and, and for care for the community, for the town, and, 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 uh, and, and they were planning on how can we increase tourism and increase revenue for the town, what, what can we do, and, and make it more attractive for local businesses and, and things like that, and, and, and others that want to come and, and be here. And they wanted to hear from local business leaders and government leaders and organization leaders, anyone from the community, uh, about what would be good for the town and, and how, do, how does this sound to you? Here's the questions we're asking. Here are the things we want to know about. And they were collecting this, this information on this call from different leaders. And it was a lot of good stuff, very encouraging stuff. And I was, I was so pleased by so much of it and, and was really excited for our town. But, but I asked a question at one point on that call because I noticed something was missing from the questions in the conversation. I asked if there were any considerations being made in, in the future development and prosperity of the town for the poor and the homeless, and specifically those lacking transportation in our community. Any of, many of you know that transportation is a massive need in West Milford. Many families can only afford one car. When a community is this big, you need a car to get anywhere. 
And so I asked the question, it makes being in this area uh, near impossible, or if you are, are tied to a lot of social services, you need transportation down county to Passaic and Patterson. What is being done? What are your considerations for the homeless and the poor and those who lack transportation as part of this plan? And, and the consultant wasn't argumentative, wasn't confrontational or anything like that. Their response to all of it was just simply, oh, no, we, we hadn't considered that at all just as if it hadn't crossed their minds. And, and I get it, uh, you know, I, I, I get it. Um, when you're trying to think about how to get more money in town, you want to talk to people who know how to make money, right? There's, there's, there's some very reasonable explanations here. But, but I think at the same time, we as the church need to consider those needs that are in front of us and, and are we considering those that are in those positions? And if we are ignoring those places we need to question what our faith actually is. If we leave the homeless without shelter or the, the hungry without food or the unjustly treated without advocacy, the uneducated without uh, understanding or the lonely without family, whenever we do any of those things, we show uh, that we have no faith if we don't help them get what they need. Or as James puts it, whatever faith we claim to have, whatever that is, it's a dead and useless faith. A good prayer can certainly propel us, though. It can propel us to live faithfully. A good prayer can invite the Holy Spirit to give us opportunity. Uh, but at the end of the day, good prayer in and of itself is not faith. And we as followers of Jesus, people proclaiming the coming of his good kingdom, we need to demonstrate that there is a good kingdom at hand by what we do not just by what we say. And this leads me to the second item that James wants uh, to make sure we understand about faith, and it's that faith is not just good prayers, but also uh, faith is also not simply good theology, though theology, good theology, can ground us. I talk to so many people who want to care for the needs of the world, um, but they have a really bad theology that they're doing it from. Great, they're helping people, keep helping people, but, but there's something missing and they're ungrounded and they're unmoored and they're, they're going to just go to whatever need is popular to meet in their day and age. Good theology actually grounds us and can be helpful to ground us uh, in, in knowing what our God is calling us to be and who he's calling us to be in the world to every human being. And so good theology is important. It helps shape our worldview. It helps us understand our relationship to God, each other. Uh, I love uh, studying theology and being a student of the Bible. Some of you I know are still wearing your Bible nerd hats, your students of the Bible. Uh, and James wants to continue this conversation, though, and he, he wants to, us to understand that uh, theology is good, it grounds us, but he, he wants us to understand that our faith is not good theology. Verse 19, he says, You say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God. See the good theology? Good for you, even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. James is saying, hey, you believe that God is one, that's totally biblical, straight out of the book of Deuteronomy. But James is saying, good theology is good, that's great, but you know how else has good theology? Demons. 
Demons know who's in charge. Demons know who's in charge. What a statement. You can have perfect theology, James is saying, and still not have faith. Your your doctrine can be right. You can answer everything right, and you can still not have faith. Demons have good theology. Perfect. They understand how this world really, truly works. They know who's in charge and who has authority, and they know their time will end. The Pharisees in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, great theology. The scribes, great theology. No one was more learned than them. And you know what Jesus called them? Whitewashed tombs. Your your life is no better than a place for dead things. Similar to what James is saying, your faith is dead. In our own moment in in church history right now, I I find that uh, we are struggling with this same issue today. Uh, I've shared this before, but the church in America has gone through uh, several significant splits and and factions and and fractions. One of the most significant happened uh, at the early 20th century, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. And what happened is, uh, is the church kind of theologically in America split into two camps. Uh, one group was much more theologically conservative. The other group became far more theologically liberal. Uh, and slowly, uh, the theologically conservative group started to try and distance itself from any kind of large-scale social action because they were afraid of being seen as agreeing with the liberal theologians and the, the idea of the social gospel. And so they, they started to move away because they were afraid that people would confuse their theology and see if we're also doing this kind of work in the world of justice and mercy, then, then they're going to uh, put us in that same theological box and, and we don't profess to believe the same doctrinal tenets that they do. And, and I'll, I'll say right now to just be very clear, I don't endorse liberal theology either. Liberal theology says Jesus wasn't God. It says he didn't rise from the dead, that, that his, his suffering on the life. It, sa- it says that that was all the end of his life and he didn't rise from the dead. That What good is that gospel? I don't want that at all. But I think what, what has happened, instead of uh, putting their good, the church, the more conservative, theological, theologically orthodox, historically uh, sensitive and accurate uh, version of theology that we would profess to, to come from as a church, I think a lot of times we, we put our orthodox theology uh, ahead of our practice a little too much. And, and much of the tension I think that we face in the church these days is, is that we're under pressure uh, to, to make sure that people know that we don't believe what they believe over there. I'm just going to kind of call it what it is. Uh, in more theologically conservative churches, uh, we, we tend to be uh, afraid of being seen as liberal. That's like the worst thing you could say to a person who is theologically conservative, right? Think about it. <gasps> Don't call me that. Maybe some of you are, feel like you're, I would identify yourself as being more liberal and you're like, what's the problem? But seriously, for many of us that would be much more theologically conservative, that's like the worst thing that we could think to be called or heretic or that our theology's off. 
We're so concerned about our doctrine being right. And actually, I think we get so afraid of being seen as liberal that, that we get uh, that, that we, have to, we feel like we have to stay away from certain conversations because they don't feel appropriate. Because if I get involved in these conversations, someone's going to question my theology and question my beliefs about Jesus and how the kingdom of God works in the world. And so I think a lot of times we, we believe that our doctrine is so important that we have to stay away from conversations about racism or stay away from uh, conversations about large-scale social action that benefits the poor and the needy and the uneducated. But James is saying that we are foolish to think that our good theology is what equals good faith. Examine yourself for a moment. I have to do this a lot personally with this one. Examine yourself for a moment. Is it more important to you to have good theology, good doctrine, than it is to put that doctrine into practice? Do you choose not to engage with certain forms of justice and and mercy because uh, you're concerned uh, about what some people's uh, bad theology is that's also participating in that work? Man, faith in action last week wouldn't have even happened. None of these churches agree 100% on doctrinal issues. And that's just within more generally more conservative theological groups. Are you more concerned about being associated with people who have bad theology or bad world views and, and you in no way want to, uh, want to make it look like you agree or affirm their theology? Or are you more concerned about putting your faith into practice and action? Sir, there are ethical considerations. There are certain things that uh, other groups might be more comfortable doing uh, that we would say, I can't go there. I'm not saying that that's, that's something you give up, but I, I think we're too afraid sometimes to enter into spaces that the gospel is meant to be. We could talk about different worldviews and theologies like critical race theory or, or other points of liberal theology, and we could list out hundreds of things we disagree with about them and why they are unbiblical. But if we then use that list of disagreements to be an excuse to not be involved in the sociological change of our world that it desperately needs, I believe we have shown that we do not have faith. If we use that as a list of excuses, James says it's foolish. Your doctrine isn't what saves you. Demons have perfect doctrine, perfect theology. There's no faith there. Your faith is shown in what you do. I think of A.B. Simpson. He's the founder of our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Uh, and this thinking is something that marks us as a movement. We're people deeply committed to prayer that propels us. We are deeply committed to good biblical theology that grounds us. But also we are people who know that our faith is only faith when it is put into action. Our faith only is faith when it's put into action. Many of you might not be familiar with the story. Maybe you are, but Simpson was was the pastor of a very large church in Manhattan, uh, late 1800s, and and he he was earning the equivalent of the time of like a six-figure salary for a pastor. 
man, that's impressive for a pastor. He was well taken care of, very comfortable. He just got to teach, preach every week, do his thing. It was a good, good gig for A.B. Simpson. And at that time, if you're familiar with the history of New York or America at that time, this is the same time that there was a massive influx of Irish and Italian immigrants into New York Harbor. And they were flooding the city. And the narrative of the time was that this was a huge threat. These immigrants were a huge threat to uh, the way Americans were living life. And he wanted to bring uh, these immigrants into his church. He saw the, the desperation, the tangible need that they had. He, he saw the deep needs in their soul and their spirituality, how far they were from God, how lawless they were. And his faith began to bubble over as he would go to the docks and the slums and pour himself out to them where they lived and where they worked. And, and there was a, a revival that was happening among the dock workers, these poor Irish and Italian dock workers, among the poorest of the the poor, and he was inviting them into his church, and the church said, no. What are you doing? This is not the gospel. This is not the kingdom. This is not what your job is here. Your job is to take care of us. This is what we pay you for. The church said no, and Simpson was given a choice choice that the, the, the church thought that they knew the answer to. He could continue to pastor this church or he could resign. And Simpson said, I guess I'm resigning then. And, and that's actually how uh, our denomination got started. He could not uh, let his faith in Jesus to be squelched, his believing loyalty. He was compelled into action to bring justice and mercy to the least of these. He had a believing loyalty in Jesus that compelled him to action, and that's how we began as a movement and how we continue to exist today. We understand that faith is not simply good prayers, though they do propel us, and we understand that faith is not simply good theology, though it it grounds us, we understand that faith is a believing loyalty in Jesus that compels us into action. Amen? Amen. James concludes with two brief stories, examples from the Old Testament. You know the story of Abraham, father of faith, man of God, friend of God. We love Abraham. And we see the things he did in his life that were done in obedience and, and God counts these things as, as righteousness, James is saying. But then after Abraham, what's this? He talks about Rahab. Rahab gets listed here as someone who puts her faith into action. Rahab, a prostitute, what did she do? She lived a pretty messed up life. All we know about her are two things. She was a prostitute and she was in the family line of Jesus. That's all we know. That's all we know. You know what her act of saving faith was that James describes? She hid foreign national spies from the government so they couldn't find them in modern speak. The spies from Israel were sent in and she could see God was upon this people. All she had to go on was that. She didn't say a prayer. Her prayer life was probably non-existent. 
Honestly, her prayer life to that point probably didn't even involve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It probably involved other deities. She definitely had bad theology. She definitely didn't understand that that her sexuality, her, her body mattered to God and that it needed to be fully integrated with her faith. She didn't understand any of this yet. But James says this one act of hiding the spies and sending them on a different way so they weren't caught was saving faith in action for her. I've got to blow up my list and and rethink this when I read that. I don't know about you. I've got to blow up my list to use my pizza analogy again because why not? It's pizza. She was a person who, who just saw how good that pizza was in that one moment and she decided she had to eat as much of it as she could. Come on, amen to that. Anyone getting hungry? She saw how good God was. She saw the favor of God upon his people and she's like, I've gotta have that. What can I do with where I'm at right now? What's right in front of me? I can hide these two guys that are scoping out the land. Let me send them a different way so our government doesn't find them. That's all she had. That act alone counted as righteousness for her. We don't know anything else about her. What about you? Think about that. Think about God's standard there. That was God's standard for righteousness, for faith. Just living out and putting into action what you've seen from Jesus. That's believing loyalty. But what about you? What, what kind of standard have you been putting on yourself for faith, for faith in action? What kind of standard have you been putting on yourself? What kind of standard uh, of faith have you been putting on others? Are you, are you measuring your faith by good prayers? Are you measuring your faith by good theology? Or are you measuring your faith by that, what is flowing out from within you? Are you measuring your faith by the actions that go along with your believing loyalty in Jesus? There is no greater standard than this, and there is no lesser standard than this. So I just, I just want to encourage you, if you have felt overwhelmed, and yeah, the band, you guys can come up, we're going to close in worship. If, if you have felt overwhelmed by what it means to follow Jesus, if, if you just feel like you, you, you don't know what to do here, you don't have to impress anyone. There isn't a checklist, just like Paul would say about faith. There's no checklist here. But what you're beginning to see and experience about God's goodness in your life Start acting on it. Start living that out with others. Living that out with your brothers and sisters in the church. Living that out with those in in the community and in the world that are in need. What have you experienced of God's goodness, of of who he is, of who Jesus and his gospel is? What have you experienced in that? Start acting on it. Start living it out. That's what faith is. That's what it looks like to live with a faith in action. Let's stand and pray. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.